0: your classrooms. If you don't know where you're going, grab a buddy who's heading that direction, or you can follow Miss Tori over there. Victoria. Praise God. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we've had already this morning. We thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Every good and perfect gift comes down from you, O Father, in whom there is no shadow of change. So we thank you, just as your word has declared that you know the plans you have for us, that they are good plans. Plans for peace and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And so we latch on to those words of which you've spoken. And we believe what you have said, that there are good plans for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Will we are on tropical sunday everybody's looking awesome in their their hawaiian lays and their warmer wet clothes and i was like man it's hot in here (laughs) i know some people are like oh it's always too cold The, the warmer it is the more i sweat so you're gonna have to watch me just like drip buckets this morning no we're having fun and i was thinking about it usually when we have tropical sunday it's usually at this time in february and we have like four feet of snow outside it's been cold for a long time we haven't seen the sun in weeks and people are like oh i just want the sun and i just want the beach and we've been so blessed with such an awesome winter this year it's been so light the snow's almost gone and i think tuesday is like 14 degrees so we are already having spring weather so i I understand that tropical sunday this year is less of a, a relief from the cold but we can still have fun right Amen. So this morning, we're going to be taking a little break from our series on the book of Colossians and go a little bit different direction this morning. And uh, Pastor Wendy said earlier this week, she's like, oh, you don't need to stop that. I'm sure the church that but when Paul was writing to them, it was a nice warm weather climate. And, you know, Paul crashed on the tropical islands. And I was thinking, no, he crashed on Malta in the middle of winter. <laughs> and then he was bit by a poisonous snake because they were collecting wood for the fire to keep them warm. And so that's not a tropical story, Pastor Wendy. (laughs) I was thinking about that afterwards. And so as much as I'd like to give you a nice, warm, sunny message, uh, today's message begins in John chapter 10, verse 22, which says, Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Very <laughs> Not very tropical Sunday, but I believe we're going to have a good time. So it's in the middle of winter. It's at the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. And in verse 23 says, And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and when you read that, it's, oh, Solomon's porch, big deal, whatever. That's that's a good reference point that we hear throughout the in uh, the Gospels and into the book of Acts. What was Solomon's porch? We have to understand because it plays context into the story, right? When we understand the context, we understand why he's saying things and the conversations he's having. And so Solomon's porch was on the east side of the temple. It was right outside the ladies' portion of the temple. And what it was was this great courtyard that had a covered roof with these beautiful, ornate pillars that held up this roof. And so it was respite from the sun. You know, they're a a little Middle Eastern-type climate, so the sun gets pretty hot. And so after they would have, whether they were at prayers or whether it was regular temple time, they would often gather in Solomon's porch to have social time. This is a time where people would just gather and they would have good conversations with their friends and people that they wouldn't see elsewhere, but they'd all come to this place where they'd, they'd done their prayers, they'd done their temple time, and now it's just like, let's talk, let's, let's find out. Hey, how's it going? How's business going these days? How's the fishing out on the Lake of Galilee or whatever? You know, the, those are the types of things that would happen. It also would be a time where they would have business connections because you may be a seller of, I don't know, fish, and another person sells, you know, net materials. And you're like, oh, I need a network with that person. That's the type of place Solomon's porch was. It's like the social gathering place. And so what you're going to find on Solomon's porch is you got the everyday Jewish person there. This is where the average person is. This is not the place where the Pharisees usually would come. Their place, they would be in the temple because they were the prestigious ones. They're the ones everybody came to see. This is where the average person was. And so we find Jesus had lots of conversations in Solomon's porch because he cares about the average person. He didn't come for the prestigious. He didn't come just for the rich. He came for everyone. And so he would come into Solomon's porch and he would just talk with the regular people and it would give him the heartbeat of society, of what people were actually thinking about what he's teaching and what he's doing. We see Solomon's porch in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John go to the temple to pray and they find the, uh, the, the lame man there and they heal him and he goes walking and leaping and praising God and next thing you know they're all gathered in Solomon's porch to hear what the former lame, lame man had to say. And as he was praising God, he was doing it in Solomon's porch. You know, and as, as the, the early messages and speaking opportunities that the disciples had, they took place, like in Acts chapter 5, in Solomon's porch. So it was a great place for them to socialize and talk and for them to pr- spread their message versus what the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to say in the temple. You got the context now? And it says, then the Jews surrounded him. And so the Jews we're talking about are the everyman Jews. This is not the Pharisees. Jesus already talked to them earlier in the chapter. It says, the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, just tell us plainly. And this is the general population of the Jews having their Philip moment. Didn't we talk about that a few weeks ago? When uh, Philip, Jesus is preaching in in John 14, and he says to his disciples, he says, guys, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. And the disciples said, we don't know where you're going, so how can we follow? And then Philip's like, guys, guys, I got this, I got this. Just show us the Father, Jesus, and it's enough for us. And so this is his moment where he's like, okay, I I got this, guys. This is the, the pressing question we all, just show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, how long have I been with you that you don't get this yet? The works I do, I do because the Father sent me to do it. As we read last week, Jesus said, I came to do the will of him who sent me. And we said that if you want to know what God looks like and what God's heart is and what his character is like, look at Jesus. He was constantly moved with compassion and going out of his ways to lift up the downtrodden and the broken, to heal the wounded and restore them back into the place that he had gone. Called them to be in. And, and if that's how Jesus is, that's is God. And so this is the general, general Jewish person's moment, just like Philip. And they say, How long do you keep us in doubt, Jesus? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And here's what Jesus said. He said, He answered them and he said, I told you, and you do not believe. Now we often don't understand that the book of John takes place. Mostly in a few day period. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke look over the three years of ministry. John takes place in about a week, and most of the book of John takes place in one conversation. And so in John chapter 10, we have to understand what has happened in Jesus' ministry. We often picture it as, you know, the crowds thronging him. And, you know, the woman with the issue of blood having to fight through the cloud to grab the hem of a garment. Just like we were singing this morning, you know, with those crowds that are pressing up against him. That's not the picture of John 10. Jesus was preaching to them one day and he said to them, he said, guys, unless you can drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can't have part in what it is that I'm doing. And they said, oh my goodness, this guy's nuts. He wants us to cannibalize him. He wants us to drink his blood. That's only something a crazy person would go. Let's get out of here. And that's not what Jesus meant at all. He meant he was going to be the sacrifice on their behalf. He was going to shed his blood for them to do a work that they could never do. That his blood would wipe away their sins and be the perfect atoning sacrifice. That it would be poured out onto the altar in heaven and they would be declared justified and righteous fully and forever. He said, if you eat of my flesh, what is he saying? He bore stripes on your behalf that the Bible says that by his stripes you were healed. And so what Jesus was telling them in that moment, unless it comes from me and through me, it ain't worth anything. So go ahead and drink the blood and eat the body because it speaks life and wholeness to you in every area. But they didn't get that. They said, this guy's nuts. He's a cannibal. And so they left him. And so in John chapter 10, we're not seeing Jesus with the crowds of oh, Hosanna, he's so awesome. We're seeing solitary Jesus with his 12 disciples and a few other followers. And now post the resurrection, the crowds began to ramp up again. But in this moment, he had been rejected by them. And so he said to them, I told you, and you don't believe. And so this was not a question of them not knowing, it was a question of they had hardened their hearts against him, and they did not believe. This was their "Prove it to me Jesus" moment." And that's where Jesus constantly faced with the Jews. He's, like, "Oh, just show us. Just show us a sign. Do something." And they were basically saying, "Dance monkey, perform, perform, prove it for us." And Jesus was saying to them, "No, I've told you, believe." And so many Christians are in that place. They're like, God, show up and do something so that I can know. And he's saying, I've already done something. Believe and walk into it. Isn't that what faith is? Faith takes God at his word, that what he said is so. And if he said it, he meant it, it is. If he said you're something and, well, I don't feel like that, stop going by your feelings and start going by the word of God. And so he had said, I am the Messiah. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they said, "Nah, we don't believe it. So though it looks on the surface... They're being inquisitive, they're not. They're saying, prove it, Jesus. And he said, I told you and you don't believe. And he says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Exactly what he said to Philip. He said, if you don't believe me, believe me for the works' sake. And he said, they bear witness of me. They tell you exactly who I am and what I came for. Because they'd seen for the last three years, he'd gone from place to place, healing the sick, delivering those who were possessed of devils. He, was, he went about doing all of these good things that Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And he says, but you do not believe... Because you're not my sheep. Why? Because they'd hardened their heart against them. He says, as I said to you, here in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. This verse shows us pure and undefiled religion before God. My sheep hear me, I know them, and they follow me. That's what Christianity looks like. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's hearing the word of God, hearing the Lord speak to your spirit and saying, yes, Lord, I follow. That's what true Christianity is. And I love the middle part. He says, I know them. Oftentimes, when we're interacting with people, we... we present ourselves in certain ways depending on how close we are. We don't always share everything depending on who they are, right? We have different, they say we have different masks for different people. Some people we let in a little closer. Others we keep a bit. But when it comes to God, there's nothing that you could hide from Him. Before He went to the cross for you, He knew everything about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And He said, I love you anyways. I'm still sending my son to die for you, and so there's never any reason for you to say, oh, I want to hide that from God. You can't hide it from God. He sees it all, and he's known it all. It says he knows your end from your beginning, meaning every part he's already seen before he forgave you. That's how far his love goes, and so there's never any reason to withdraw and hold back from God. He already knows it all. And so when people say, well, I couldn't go to church because, you know, I'd get struck by lightning if I went in there. God already knows if you're going to get struck anywhere, it's right where you are. And if he hasn't struck you down in the street, he's not going to strike you down in the church because he didn't come to strike you down. He came to set you free. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. So he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so what is required of a Christian is just to hear his voice, whether that be the voice of his word, his logos word, his written word. He's told you things. You hear them, you follow. He speaks to your heart by his Holy Spirit. You hear them, and you follow. That's all Christianity is. I'm just following my Jesus who did it all for me, who said, hey, come on, just go this direction. And I go, okay, Lord, I trust you. I take you at your word. And so that's the picture of Christianity. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And he said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And I love that picture because there is nothing your neighbor can do to hinder your salvation or to change it. Because you weren't saved by them. So we should come to the understanding there are. Opinion means nothing. God's opinion does. And he says, you're loved and you're accepted and I receive you and believe me. And so he says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And he said, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand either. So they're working together in tandem in this, right? When Jesus says, my Father... And I are one, which he says in the next voice, he, verse, he actually means it. That they're so secure in what they're doing and what they've now done looking back to the cross that no one else can change it. And so when anyone else has an opinion regarding your relationship with God and your status with him, go ahead and stick your fingers in your ear and be like, you're not the voice I need to hear. I don't even listen to that one. Amen? Because he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, this conversation that's taking place here in John chapter 10, we're in the middle of the chapter here, but this whole sequence of events began a chapter and a half before at John chapter 9. Now, for the sake of time, we can't read through two chapters. As you know, we are seven weeks into our book of Colossians, and we haven't gotten out of the first chapter yet, so we don't have time for two chapters this morning, so I'll give you this synopsis because we got food to eat and things to celebrate, right? This story begins at the first of John chapter 9 where they come across a man who has been born blind. And his disciples ask him, they say, whose sin was it that caused him to be like that? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? They're looking for the cause. You want to know what the cause is? There's a jerk named the devil and he'll use you and abuse you as much as you'll allow him. Stop allowing him. It wasn't because of the sin. Jesus did something about the sin problem, right? He he shed his blood for it. And so he said, whose fault is it? Is it his or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. And he said, but because I'm here, I have to work the works of the one who sent me. And so he took some clay off the ground. He spit in it, and he shoved it in his eyes. I know I, I it seems kind of gross, you know, Spitting in the mud and shoving it in his eyes, I guarantee you the blind man didn't care. He just wanted to see. And when you get desperate, you'll go a little bit further past some lines that you thought you never would cross. He's like, go ahead, spit right in them, Jesus. Come on. And so he sticks the spitty mud in his eyes and he says, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. In the pool of Siloam, Siloam means scent. And it's symbolic because when Jesus sends you somewhere, you go because that's where your miracle is. He could have said, I'm sure there's a fountain a little closer than the pool of Siloam. But he didn't. He said, okay, stick that muddy clay in here and I'll go. And so he took off and he went and he washed in the pool of Siloam and he was healed and he began to see. And he comes back to the temple, and of course, he's excited. Why wouldn't you be? And so he's celebrating here in Solomon's porch. And we have the picture of the Pharisees. They're kind of over in their area of the temple, and they begin to hear the commotion. And they're like, what's going on? And so they come out, and everybody's like, man. They they say, is this a guy who was blind from birth, and now he's seeing? And they're like, no, 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 no. It's somebody who looks like him. And he goes, no, no, it was me. It was me. It was me who could see, now can see. And so the the Pharisees come over and they're like, What's this commotion? We're not supposed to be getting this excited in church. (laughs) That's essentially what's going on. They're used to everything being quiet and solemn. And man, why go to boring church? God, it says, He who sits on the throne laughs. Come on, where do you think you got your personality from and all of your quirks? God's not short on personality and humor and life and love and joy. Come on, it says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Last time I saw someone going, I didn't consider them very joyful. Right? You see joy. You feel joy. God has joy. The so joy of the Lord is our stronghold and our strength. And so they hear the commotion, and they, they grab the man, and they're like, what's going on? And he said, somebody spitting some mud told me to wash, and now I can see. And this is how you spot religion. Well, you can't do that on a Sunday. <laughs> For them, it was the Sabbath. It would have been a Saturday. You can't do that. We don't do that on Saturdays. And what they were saying is, we don't do that at all. It wasn't that that this wasn't a good thing. It wasn't their thing. Come on. And so they begin to question this man and he tells them the story. And they are like, okay, okay, we need to get some more info. And so they went and they found his parents, who probably in the temple with him. And they bring him before them and said, Was this was he born? Is he your kid? And he's like, Yep. Was he born blind? Yep. How does he see? And they went, I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't haven't, haven't talked to him. You came and found me. He said, I, I don't know. And they said, the Bible says they perceived that they were trying to trap them so that they could kick them out. Because it says that they were finding Jesus' followers and excommunicating them from the temple. And so them perceiving that, they understood by the tone of those questioning that this isn't a good situation. <laughs> and so they said, we don't know what's going on he's old enough, ask him. And so we know from that statement that we, he's at least past the age of 13, most likely, depending on how they used it, it could be 30 because that's when you became a full standing adult in their society. But uh, they bring him back before him and they say, how did this happen? And he tells them again and they say, how can this man do it? He's a sinner. And I absolutely love the man's response. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but what I do know is I was blind, and now I see. And when you've tasted and you've seen of the goodness of God, it doesn't matter what everybody else says. He's not trying to line up everybody's sins and be like, oh, yeah, you're kind of good, you're kind of bad. No, he's like, I don't care, I can see. Because the goodness of God frees you up to worship the Lord. And with all of your heart. And I say that because over the years, I've had so many people say, well, they hear me preach and they're like, well, I don't believe that. And I'm like, well, I don't care. (laughs) You know, It's like I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good and I believe his word and I've experienced the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. I'm not the one who needs to change. If the word of God says something and you say something else, there's only one to believe. And Jesus said, let God be true and everyone else a liar. And so he says to them, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I do know a miracle has taken place, and I can see. Yeah. You know, a number of years ago, we, we uh, spent six months talking about the Holy Spirit. We talked about the personhood. We talked about the leading of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And it made a bunch of people mad. And one person came up to me, and they're like, oh, you can't, you can't teach that. That's just not true. And I said, well, that's what the Word says. Well, no, no, that's not what I've experienced. And I said, you know what? We've come to a point where you're trying to tell a fish that water doesn't exist. I'm just going to keep swimming. And when you've tasted of the goodness of the Lord, just keep swimming. So he says, I don't know if he's a sinner, and I don't really care. I was blind, and now I see and so they begin to question him. He says, I've already told you, do you want to hear again so that you can become his follower? And that was the tipping point. (laughs) That was the tipping point for them. They're like, no, we're trying to get a handle on this situation because we're supposed to be the one in charge. No, no, you're not. By that point, the priesthood was absolutely corrupt. It was being sold to the highest bidder, and so it was worthless at that time, and that's why Jesus came under the order of Melchizedek and forever changed it, and we have an unchangeable priesthood who stands before God advocating on our behalf forevermore of something that is unchangeable and so after he says that you know what they do out you go he's excommunicated you're not allowed to be here in the temple which means he loses that type of social interaction and those connections that they were all experiencing a little bit later here in John chapter 10 and Jesus understands that. And here, this is where I want to pick up the story. In John chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him. I love that. Jesus heard, he understood the implications, and his heart went out to the man, and he went and found him. It's not an accidental occurrence. This is Jesus purposed in his heart. I know what they've done to him. I know what they've said to him. I know what it means for him. His love is, my love is what he needs to experience in that moment. So he goes and he finds the man, and he said to them, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and he said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He's like, at this point, I understand. I I was blind and I could see. I'll believe. Just tell me who I need. Because Jesus' first interaction, he was like this. He's hearing, but he's not seeing. He doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. He doesn't know that the man who he's talking to right now is the same one. There was a lot of commotion in the temple. And Jesus says to him, you've both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he, what did he do? His immediate response is, I worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, you are so good. Thank you. Man, because when you've experienced the Lord, you can't help but worship him. If your heart doesn't feel like worshiping the Lord, get back into the Gospels and look at the works of Jesus and understand his goodness. I'm just so overwhelmed by how awesome God is day in and day out. And so the Pharisees are standing there watching this interaction. They know what they've just done to him and now they're seeing Jesus' response to come in with that compassion. They didn't have any compassion. They didn't have any love. They were more concerned that it happened on the wrong day. I don't care what day you got healed on. We should be celebrating. And so they're sitting there and they're watching Jesus' response to what has just happened. And his heart going out to this man. Him bringing this man into the kingdom. He's saying, I believe. And Jesus says to the man born blind. This is paraphrasing, but this is what he said. In this situation, you might have been the one who was physically blind, but you were not the blind person. And the Pharisees say this to Jesus, are you calling us blind? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so Jesus says this, John chapter 10, verse 1. This is his answer to that question. Most assuredly, I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. (laughs) Jesus wasn't mincing words. He's saying if you have to manipulate your way into someone's life and coerce them, that's just called filthy religion and we don't need it. He says the shepherd comes through the door. Do you know who's the door? You are. You open the door unto him. If somebody has to force their way in and say, do this, don't do that, make these rules, do this, that is not God. He stands at the door. That's what Revelation says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I'll come in and I'll feast with him. I will dine with him. And so Jesus says... I'm the shepherd and the shepherd comes through the door, which means you open it willingly and freely. Remember what he said to the people later on in the chapter? He said, you don't, not my sheep, because you don't believe. They would got that door firmly shut. Man, open the door of your heart and believe God with all that you have because that's where the feasting and the dining takes place. When the door's open, God you can have all of me. There's nothing that I hold back. I give you all of my heart and I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. I love that. That's the picture of true leadership. He goes before the sheep. He doesn't stand behind the sheep and say, go sheep, go sheep, go. He says, no, guys, just follow me. And that's what Paul said. He said, follow me as I follow Christ and if the day comes where I'm not following Christ and I'm telling you to do something stop following me because our job is just to follow after Jesus and what he has said he says he goes before the sheep and it says when he brings out his own sheep he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice say I know his voice we need to take, take the confession out of our mouths. We're saying, I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know how to hear him. I don't. No, you do. The word is clear. It's easy. It's easy to follow. Hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit is easy because the sheep know his voice. And the sheep follow him for they know it. And he says, and they, they won't follow a stranger. But they'll flee from him for they don't know the stranger's voice. And Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand it. Why? Because their hearts had been hardened towards him. They've already had that moment where, no sorry, I don't want that cannibalism stuff. And they've walked away. Their hearts have been hardened towards him. And so they didn't understand the illustration. It was a pretty obvious one. Why? They were a very agrarian society. There were sheeps all over the hills, all around the city. It was something that there was a major market for in their area. They understood how shepherds were with their sheep. They understand this illustration that they know the shepherd's voice. Now, Garnet and I were talking a few weeks ago, and he said he had saw video where uh, where two different herds and two different shepherds were put into one pen pen right and the one shepherd stood outside the pen and called his sheep and his only his sheep came out and i couldn't find that video but this one we'll have to do
1: They're coming. Oh,
0: So when he says the sheep know the shepherd and they know his voice and a stranger they will not follow, that's exactly what he was saying to them. When I speak, they hear me and they follow. They're not going to listen to a stranger. And that's the same with you. You know the difference between the voice of the Lord, the voice of your flesh, and the voice of someone else because you're his sheep if you've opened up that door and received Jesus into your life. He's not going to climb in. He only comes in if he's welcomed in. And if you haven't become a Christian, that's the easiest thing to do is say, Lord, I believe the work that you've done, that you came, you died for me, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And he's like, I'm coming in through the door. Amen? And so when he was speaking so plainly to them, they missed the very obvious things because their hearts had been hardened. Not our hearts, right? You know, the most famous psalm is Psalm 23. And unfortunately, it gets spoken more at funerals than anything else. The Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. No, it's not a funeral dirge. This is a song of life. This is a declaration from King David who understood what it meant to be a shepherd. That's how he grew up. He grew up with the sheep. He understood that they know his voice and he knows what the shepherd does. And he says, so Lord, you're my shepherd. The word he used there was Jehovah-Rohi, which means you are the great God, the powerful God, the one without beginning, the one without end, and you are my shepherd. It was his declaration. And he said, because I know you're my shepherd, I do not have to want. I don't have to be in lack. Why? Because David knew what the shepherd does for his sheep. He says, he makes me to lie down into green pastures. That's what the Lord does. He brings you to places of refreshing and provision to build you up, to provide for you, because he's a good shepherd. He's not a bad shepherd. And if a Christian's telling you, well, you just don't know what God's going to do, they have not met the good shepherd. He's a good shepherd, not a bad shepherd. And if Jesus is the shepherd, because that's what he said to them in John 10, I'm the shepherd, the, she- the you let me in through the door, and my sheep follow me and know me, we should see this, this idea represented in his ministry, should we not? In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat. Just for context, what did he hear? He had just heard his beloved cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed. That he'd been beheaded because a manipulative, vindictive woman asked for his head. And so King Herod brought his head on a platter for her. And and he didn't want to do it. He liked John. But this woman was mad. Because she told, John told her, you should not be st- sleeping with your brother-in-law. You've got your husband. Stop sleeping with your brother-in-law, who happened to be King Herod. <laughs> and, uh, and she didn't like that, and so she had him executed. And so Jesus has just heard this. He's in a moment of sorrow. He's in a moment where someone close to him from his family, the one who baptized him, has just been killed. And so he's looking to get alone for his own soul to be refreshed. And so he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. You would think that this is a moment where they should be moved with compassion for him. They should be understanding that he needs some space, that he need, he's mourning, whatever. But he never stops reaching out with compassion. And he heals their sick. And it says, when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, this wasn't a hard thing Jesus was asking. He's already multiplied food for the multitudes before. And Jesus was all about leading by example. Here, I did it. Now you do it. Oh, but only, no. It's not just Jesus can do it. He said, I did it. Now you do it. That's what he told them in John 12. He said, the works that I do, you'll do and greater than these because I'll go to my father. And we could give you lots of modern day examples of this story. But he said, you do it. I've already showed you how you do it. And they said, well, we've only got five loaves and two fish. Well, last time they had seven. you know. So what, what's the difference between five and seven when you've got thousands of people? It's not a big difference. Little is little. And he said, bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down in the grass. What does the good shepherd do? He leads me by still waters and he makes me lie down in green pastures. Well Pastor Jordan it says sit does it? The word there in the Greek is inekleo which means to lean against and to lay down. What he said he's like guys tell them to go and relax lean back and just relax in the grass. And the word for grass there that he used is lush pastures. We are seeing symbolically the good shepherd at work. Guys, I know the situation. You're hungry. It's late. There's only a little bit of food here. You go ahead and relax. The pressure's not on you. The pressure's on the shepherd. He's the provider right? It's not the sheep's job to wander all over the hillside trying to find the provision. The Lord says, relax, I've brought you where you need to be for you to feast. And so he commanded them to sit down and eat on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up into heaven, he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. And they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He more than met the need. They ate until they were full and then there was 12 baskets left over. That's how the shepherd provides, right? He is not just enough or a halfway God. He goes above and beyond and takes it over so that those five loaves and two fishes turned into 12 baskets worth to take home. And so God is not just a halfway God or a little bit God. He is a good shepherd who supplies the want and leaves you not lacking. It says, he makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Man, that is your mind, your will, and your emotions. He wants you to be at rest. He doesn't want you anxious and worrisome. And so as we follow his voice and his leading, he brings you to place where you can take the Worries off. You can be refreshed, spirit, soul, and body. And so, if you're dealing with worry and anxiety, the shepherd's calling, he's saying, You know my voice and follow me. And just uh, follow after that peace and let him lead you to those places where he can refresh you. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Pastor Wendy was already quoting that during prayer today. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not your rod and your staff, they beat me and control me. No, the shepherd goes along and he's like... Come on, little sheep. No, no, back from the edge, back from the edge. We're going through. We're not staying here. This is not a place to lie down. Up, up, up. Let's go. They comfort. They comfort because he's a good shepherd. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Just think about that for a second. Often when we're going through hard times, we're like, God, get me out of here and he'll be like, you don't need to get out of here. I'm with you. Let's take some time and let's eat together. It's not always about getting out of the situation. It's recognizing what's present with you, who is the good shepherd who's made a provision wherever you are, whether in the valley, out of the valley, whether good times or the bad times, the good shepherd's right there, and so you don't need to be out of the situation to be blessed. You don't need to be out of the situation to find your miracle, because the Lord is right there with you, and he spreads a table out before you in the presence of your enemies. What he's saying is sit down and eat and let them watch because I'm for you and not for them, right? He says, just let them watch how good I am to you. They'll think twice about messing with you next time. Says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all. Everyone say all. All the days of my life. You know what all that is? Today. Tomorrow. Next week. Ten years from now. Forty years from now. He's good. And his mercy is right here with you now. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I really wanted to just take some time today, and I wanted to just go back to the simplicity of what Christianity is. It's easy to make things just so blown out of proportion and feel like I have to measure up and I have to do. No, I just listen, and I follow. And he makes sure that I get to where I need to be, right? I feel like there's some that are worrying like, God, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And he's saying, just listen. Just follow. I know how to move you where you need to be. I know where the good grass is. I don't want you eating that dried up old hay. I want the lush grass for you. I want you to get the still waters Not the waterfalls, not the rocky rapids. He brings you to the still waters because that's where you're supposed to drink. Christianity is simple. It's just me following my God, a God who there's nothing that he would not do for you, and there's nothing that he did not do for you. And it says, if he didn't spare his own son, how shall he not also with him freely Give us all things. So say this this morning. I'm a sheep. I know his voice. And I follow. So Father, we thank you. We know we hear your voice. And we just take the pressure off and we relax in you. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. And I will dwell with you all the days of my life. Because there's nowhere else I'd rather be. I just turn my ear towards you, and I follow after. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, our Word Care team is going to be up here at the front, and they would love to pray with you, agree with you, believe with you. If you want to become a Christian today, that's a good place to start. Let the Lord come in through the door of your heart and become one of his sheep. And they would love to pray with you and give you a gift. They would love to celebrate with you. Hallelujah! I think I'm done, Pastor Robin. Why don't you go ahead and come?
1: Well, praise God! It is offering time. It's actually, I like to say, giving and receiving time. Amen. So we are going to um, actually several ways you can give. There's you can go online, uh, wordchurch.ca forward slash give. And or there's an envelope in the seat in front of you and a basket at the back. Um, let's let's water our seeds that we've sown and plant the seeds that we're going to sow with this uh, with your, and let's just do that with our voice as we say this confession together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Who is on the work Care team? Ah, all right. Fabulous. Oh, and Lord, thank you for the food we're about to consume and the the refreshments we're about to drink. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stick around and have some uh, fellowship with us and uh, enjoy some of the refreshments at the back and the snacks. Amen. Amen. You are blessed.